This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. This might be a more <laughs> intense dude than you are, and you're a pretty intense dude. I'm not. I really <laughs> hope you're not comparing me to this person in any well, way, shape, or form. Well, no, I'm not trying to say you something. are this person. All right, what, <laughs> I thought we were what, friends. All right, what do we what do we do? What do we do? Okay, well, today um, we're going to be looking at someone that's known in the West, but a little bit differently. I guess he's learned known in other parts of the world. We'll get into that a little bit, but we'll be looking at Joseph Stalin, who has a different first name originally, which uh, well, I'll let you pronounce today. And I was basically looking at Joseph Stalin, who was a dictator of the Soviet Union or the USSR from 1929 to 1953, and really transformed the Soviet Union from a peasant society to a military industrial superpower. But he did this by really terror. And millions of his own citizens died during his uh, reign, which was really brutal. He was a terrible person. I think if you look at numbers of like comparing, like people are always like, well, there's Hitler's the bad guy. Of course, Hitler's the bad guy. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. However, Stalin is, I mean, like we're trying to compare apples to apples here. Like Stalin is just as bad and just as bad, actually not worse. killed. Yeah. yeah, actually killed more of his own people than Hitler did. And, and that's in no way, shape or form trying to like mellow out Hitler. These Both of these guys are nuts. But I find it interesting because you're like, you know, Stalin's known around the world, you know, differently in different places. I mean, I think it's a pretty, con- there's a consensus there. Like Stalin's a... Well, what I mean by that, yeah, like he's dude. not well liked. But well, yes, he's definitely seen as being a bad dude. I guess in the if you look like the old way, how World War II used to be taught, like Stalin in the West. Oh, yeah, Uncle Joe, it, yeah. It was like Uncle Joe, who's in BC, was helping us out. So I didn't really get into all like the negative. I think that was a new narrative, not a new narrative, but a narrative that was kind of retaught. I said last, what, 30 years or something like that, yeah. right? And that even Give started in Soviet Union, and we'll get to that today. I mean, Soviet Union, after he died, took like a deep breath and started a process known as de-Stalinization. De-Stalinization. yeah. These <laughs> like, by the rulers. Yeah, they, they were – well, that gets to – we'll talk about it, but like did he really die from what they say he died from? Yeah, fishy you know? stuff. There's a lot there. Indeed. All right, so Joseph Stalin, born Joseph Visarinovich Juskavili. That's his real name. Okay, so say that again. Uh, uh, no, that was hard. <laughs> Joseph Visarinovich no, Juskavili. When, of course, you're going to refer to him simply as Stalin, which actually means Man of Steel. Okay, so okay. and it is reasons why he brought that. He's not naming himself after Superman. Okay, that's not what he's doing. We'll get to like why he chose that and to present this image and stuff like that. And why you, if you look at a picture of Stalin, his one arm is always kind of hidden away. Like there's a lot of like really crazy stuff yeah. with this guy well, yeah, who was definitely. so crazy. Like you said, Pete, yeah, he was born in what, December of 1878, which really gives you an idea of how like he was one of these, he was born in the 1800s. Which, I know, like, like 1870s. I knew, but like it really makes it seem the 1870s. Like, wow. You know, he was an old Just, man by the time the war was really going on. Yeah. Did you see that? Like he invented his own day, like birthday because they said it was. Some believe that it was December eight, December eighteenth, eighteen seventy eight. Then other documents point to December sixth, eighteen seventy eight. And then basically, he supposedly invented his own birthday and decided that December twenty first of eighteen seventy nine just seemed like the right number. So and he could do that because he had total control. So like whatever he total. wants the birthday to be, whatever he wanted, okay. You know, like Not- it just happens. Like whatever he decides. That's what's going to happen. That's how much power this guy had, like particularly later on in his life. Absolutely. First things first, let's get this out of the way. He was actually not born in Russia proper. He was born in a small town of Gorgi in Georgia, which then was part of the Russian Empire. And actually, when he was growing up as a, as a younger kid, as a child, he did not speak Russian. He actually spoke 
Georgian, which is a, a different dialect altogether. And he learned Russian while he started going to school later on. And therefore, they said for the rest of his life, he kind of spoke with this like Georgian-esque accent, which is interesting because people often compare him to Hitler. And like Hitler was not born in Germany either, right? Like he was Austrian. So there is a lot of comparison in this perspective of like, Hitler was, oh, I'm pure Germany. And this guy's like, I'm all about Russia, Mother Russia, Soviet Union. But both of these men were not born properly, I guess, in those two countries. So grew up super poor. We know this for a fact. Now, he, had, he had a terrible childhood. Horrible it's, childhood, yeah. What do you got? Well, a little bit about it. So when he was born, um, he was the only one of his children to survive past infancy. So uh, only one of his uh, siblings, excuse me, to survive past infancy. Most of them uh, passed away before that. And his father was um, initially was a cobbler. Yeah, he was employed in a work. He was a workshop, and it did well for a while. But then it kind of like declined. Basically, his father became an alcoholic, beat him and his mother pretty much daily, severely. So, yeah. so they just left him. Did like this wandering through the next decade, really, just all over the place. They said his father through. beat him so much, like his mother, who was a laundress, right, would literally bring him to neighbors because he was peeing blood. That's how badly the father was beating this child. Yeah, and this, this is like this is in the 1800s, so there's no like child labor laws, especially yeah, in no. you know Eastern Europe. They don't have these things that are going to stop that. And even you know that can obviously still happen anytime, but there there was no protections in place. It was just oh well, he drinks and beats his family. That's what happens. You know, to make matters worse for uh, little boy Stalin, he contracts smallpox right as a little kid, and that leaves him with lifelong facial scars. He, he they said his face. We don't often see it that much, especially obviously if you're looking at a lot of black and white stuff, but even the color stuff from his life, he's not photographed that close by, but they said if he got really close to him, you could see his like pot mark, like marked skin, that it was very much scarred from smallpox. Um, and also he had a certain deformity. He was a small dude. So think of this like scarred face. He was very short and one of his arms was actually shorter than the other. Well, he got hit by a um, like a cart or something, right? When, when he, he was, was um, yep. yeah, age twelve, that left him with that disability in his left arm, and you'll see that in all the pictures. His left arm, he usually has it like hidden away or like tucked. His hand, I think his hand was smaller, right, than the rest of yep. it than his other hand. So I usually had it tucked away in like a jacket and stuff like that. Like this is all stuff that comes out later. They didn't know about this at the time because if someone mentioned it, they somehow disappeared after that. Literally. This is the thing that always got me when I taught about Stalin to my students. As a teenager, he actually earns a scholarship to attend a seminary. He was um, smart. Yeah, he was a very smart kid. And eventually this is interesting, too, because as he got older, uh, he never really finished college. So a lot of his contemporaries thought of him as like, well, this guy's not really intelligent. And that was a big understatement. He was a very intelligent dude. Yeah, he might not have been educated. So people kind of looked at his like pot face, you know, pot marked face and they're like, oh, this guy's just a muscle man. But no, he was a very intelligent dude. So he earns a scholarship. He attends to attend a seminary school, and he was going to study to be a priest, right? A Georgian Orthodox uh, Church priest. And his mother was ecstatic about this. Um, however, this is where things kind of start to fall apart, uh, specifically for his mother's dream, because while he is at the seminary, one, he doesn't really go and take any exams. He kind of skips school a lot. But also, this is where he comes across... Uh, the German social philosopher, Karl Marx, and his work, The Communist Manifesto. And he becomes very interested in revolutionary movement and revolutionary ideas that are expressed in The Communist Manifesto and starts to really kind of read that stuff and yeah. and meets other like-minded people that are against the Russian monarchy. So this is like 1899, 1900. Yeah, he becomes an atheist, right? Basically, yep. He basically just goes and starts arguing with the priest all the time. So yeah, he's going against his mother's wishes here. And he really was up to this point, I guess you could say kind of like a mama's boy, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Like very, which is very strange. Again, I guess we're doing a parallel again with, with Hitler, but Hitler was the same way. Like if you look so. at this early on in his life, it was all about his mother, his mother, his mother. And when she passes away, that does things. And with Stalin, it's kind of similar too. Like these, they're very devoted to their their mothers. And then yeah. Stalin breaks away from her wishes, and he um, goes against the priest. So he actually argues with the priest at his school in 1899. He gets thrown out because he doesn't show up for his exams. That's when revolutionary Stalin really starts to kick in place. And they do have pictures of Stalin um, as a young man, as like a, like a teenager. Like they're out there. Yeah, you can exists. find them. Yeah, he's got long, wavy hair. This is crazy. No, but like he yeah. does look like it's weird, like watching him like as a young guy. Like that's Stalin, um, yeah. Here's baby Stalin. And later when you see pictures of his kids, actually his his older son looked very much like him, which is, I mean, I guess makes sense, right? Father, son. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Right. All right. So he leaves school and he gets involved at this time in this with this like underground political movement. This is the communist movement. And there's these communists, we have to always remember, there's a Russian monarchy while while this is going on, right? So you have a Russian czar and, you know, they're kind of rule the whole nation. However, there is a lot of unrest, specifically in the labor classes. And you have a lot of labor demonstrations, strikes, so on and so forth. Uh, you have fires being set to different business owners' homes. This is what Stalin kind of becomes involved in. He becomes this political agitator. And he adopts a new name for himself before, you know, like he becomes really Stalin. He is known as Koba, K-O-B-A. Koba is yeah. a fictional Georgian outlaw hero. Think of like a Robin Hood-esque, right, of Georgia. And that kind of becomes his nickname. Well, he gets this because he's like, he's ruthless, right? I think that's even yeah. what Lenin calls him. He's like, this guy's ruthless. But um, he gets that nickname because in 1907, he steals um, 250,000 rubles, which is about 3.4 million US dollars today, right? In a bank nuts. robbery. And he, and he uses that to fund the cause. So he steals all this money and then he uses it to fund the cause. And that's kind of, he gets that Koba name that like, you know, Robin, Robin Hood type S type yeah. type S person because he's stealing and he's giving it back to the cause and he's do he's he's doing bombings like you said and this all starts during you know the Russian Revolution and he's he's impressing Lenin at this time too and that's when that's going to start that relationship that they have. Yep. Yeah, is, Lenin is Lenin is your leader of this um, at least one Bolsheviks, faction yeah. the Bolsheviks. of the Bolshevik party. Yeah. And the first initial Russian Revolution, the first time is this is happening is really like early 1900s, like 1902. And it failed. The first Russian Revolution failed. I mean, I, we know for a fact that obviously Lenin is banished from the country and and you have the Russian monarchy retains power. And what happens to Stalin is he's actually imprisoned numerous times between 1902 and 1913 for his actions. At one point, he is sent to exile in Siberia, which is also ironic because that's where, you know, he sends most of his political, unless until he, later unless on. he kills them. Yeah, but later on, he does send a lot of his political enemies to Siberia. As we already know, the, the Russian gulags, um, you basically lived until you no longer lived, which happened very quickly. Conditions were just insane. During this time, uh, well, he is this Russian revolutionary. And about 1906, he marries his first wife, right? Yeah. What's her name? Keith? Uh, Ekaterina. So Kat Kat Ekaterina. And she's a um, poor family, a little bit of nobility thrown in there. And he does give birth to his first son, right? Yeah. Uh, Yakov. What happens is right after, like you said before, Pete, they, that Russian revolution doesn't go very well, so they have to leave. She actually dies of uh, typhus in typhus 1907. Quickly. Yeah, very yeah. quickly. And this really messes with him. They said he's racked with grief. It destroys him. This is when he adopts that name. This is when he adopts the name of Stalin. So he goes from whatever his name was before, right? That you said before, <laughs> to, to Koba, right? To that nickname. Yep. Now he's taking Stalin. And a lot of historians say this is because of the loss of his first wife. That's the only per person that he basically did love. And losing he just becomes like iron 
you know, Steel yeah. after this, where he adopts that name, Men of Steel. And he actually leaves his son in the care of his wife's parents. He just like, he just leaves, leaves him there, abandons him basically. And then he just devotes himself fully to this revolutionary work. To the cause, yeah. To the cause. And during this time is when he gets arrested a bunch of times and exops in Siberia. But it's really crazy when you think about it, because you think of how many times Again, I'm going back to Hitler too. Like Hitler gets exiled a bunch, gets well arrested, right? Why well, thrown gets, in jail? Yeah, yeah, thrown in jail. Like how many times could these guys have just been wiped out? Like the cops could have like shot him, you know, like, beat him to death, yeah, or someone, some prisoner could have done something to him. He could have got sick in Siberia and stuff like that. But then he just keeps on surviving, keeps on surviving, and becomes one of like the worst human beings, causing the most destruction and loss of life in the history of mankind. But in so many times, things could have just turned a different way. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Stalin's legacy is still present. Uh, the fact that Russia is a military power is Stalin. The fact that they are an industrial power is Stalin. The fact that they, you know, they sell oil and all that stuff to Europe and have Europe is really dependent on it. Like that all stems and starts. Uh, Stalin does eventually get remarried, right after the second, the more successful Russian Revolution in 1917. He does remarry. Uh, by then, he really does not like his initial son. He kind of like. It's like, ugh, you know, whatever. Like he, he sees him as kind of like a wuss. Uh, and there's a really sad story here because obviously I'm getting ahead of myself, but Yaakov, his first son from his first marriage, is eventually taken prisoner in Germany during yeah. World War II. And yeah. that's like a famous story. Yeah. So what happens? Well, what is it? He's like, only, I forget what his rank was. He gets captured and the Germans, the Nazis realize who he is. And they're like, all right, great. You know, we'll give him back to, we'll offer him back to Stalin, return for some of our officers. And he's like, he's only like, I don't know, like a private. He's he's not worth like, uh, you know, in, in a corporal's rank. Like, yeah. no, he's dumb enough to get captured. So be it. And the Nazis Literally. kill him. The Nazis yeah. kill him. This is this is his own son. This was again years later and stuff like that. But it just shows how Stalin becomes very cold, very just calculated, very just like, you know, he is this man of steel. Like he actually he's not showing like emotions. Basically, he literally told the Germans, "Fine, kill him. I have another son." So I have other crazy. sons, yeah, which is like, crazy. but oh. it shows his, he's chosen his mentality. Yeah. Like if he's willing to do this to his own son, that's one reason, again, we'll get to it, why the Soviet Union loses so many people in World War II is really one cause of that. One reason for that is Stalin too. Oh, yeah. You know, and, his, yeah. And, and the tactics. So Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about his rise to power and then we'll get into like Soviet Union under Stalin and then we'll, you know, we'll roll that into World War II. But uh, 1912, uh, Lenin is in exile. He's in Switzerland. Yeah, he's um, in Switzerland. And he kind of appoints Stalin because Stalin's still around. He's still leading his little revolution back in Russia. So he appoints him as the first to serve on the first central committee of the Bolshevik party. And once the Bolsheviks actually seize power in 1917, and the way they do this is because Germany is fighting a, a World War One, and they want they're fighting a two front war, and they want Russia out of the war, and Russia's doing really know. bad in this war, and the people are poor and starving and are starting to rebel it's more not or less. Going well, yeah, yeah, against the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas. So the Germans literally use their secret weapon. They put Lenin on a train and bring him back to yeah, Russia. That's a whole, I'm sure this podcast out there, specials yeah, on be. there, just just on that, the whole like return of Lenin and stuff and how they smuggle him back in a train because they want to basically create like a civil war in Russia. And they did. And they did. And they they literally did, did that. Yeah. And if you want to hear about how the Americans got involved in that civil war, ah, shout yeah. out to one of our previous podcasts, right? Woo-hoo. That's right. Find a, find out a podcast on the American expedition. Look for in, it. Search, uh, search, Russia. search. Nonetheless, what happens here is while Lenin is brought back and restarts the second Russian revolution in 1917, Stalin was there taking care of stuff for him. 
He was laying the groundwork. He was, he had, there was a central committee, right, of this party. He was getting this political support and everything, the base growing. So when Lenin lands, uh, Stalin kind of hands it back to Lenin, but people are starting to realize, like, Stalin has a lot of power. He remained while Lenin was banished. Yeah. And essentially what starts to happen is it's not just Lenin. It's not just Stalin either. Like, while Stalin is an important dude, uh, you actually have another dude that's kind of very important here, and his name is Trotsky, right? Trotsky. And, so it's it's Stalin and Trotsky that remain when Lenin's gone, and they're the ones that kind of lead this revolution. And when Lenin comes back, this is very much an oligarchy, right? An oligarchy meaning it's a small group of people having a control of a country, organization, whatever. It's not a totalitarian state under Lenin. No, he he. It's not a true communist state either. Obviously, yep. it's more of a socialist state, right? United Soviet Socialist Republic. So it's going to be that first. And Stalin is appointed to the um, Central Committee of the Communist Party. So this role really gives him a lot of power. And what he starts to do is he starts to appoint his friends, his allies into government jobs. And this is when he's growing out of this like political support that he's going to use later on. Yeah. And well, you have this oligarchy, right? You have this group of people that are kind of controlling here, but he's setting himself up to become the sole replacement for Lenin. For Lenin, yeah. Yep. And Lenin actually sees this. And there's a, there's a document that's written that Stalin more or less kind of winds up hiding during his reign and yeah. eventually comes out. Yeah, he, doesn't trust, he doesn't trust Stalin. He thinks, he thinks he's too brutal, really, to exactly. rule. And yeah, Lenin was pretty brutal to himself. Yeah. But for Lenin to be like, okay, listen, Stalin should not like get too much power. Like He, is, he can't uh, take he can over. tell yeah. what he's doing. Exactly. But that's exactly what happened. So Lenin winds up dying. And when Lenin dies... Before, doesn't, he have a, doesn't he have a stroke or something before that? He He's does. in like bad health and like you always see pictures of Stalin with him and Stalin kind of isolates Lenin from everybody else and like, you know, he, he can only talk to me. So yep. he would say Lenin told me this, Lenin told me that and that's what Stalin's telling people. And, you know, obviously we know today that probably wasn't true. Stalin was just kind of using Lenin as a puppet and they find that letter where I think he does want Trotsky to be in power after he Lenin does. Dies. Lenin, so Lenin, wanted Lenin wants Trotsky. Trotsky. And then Trotsky winds up uh, getting an ice pick to the skull. Literally. <laughs> somehow. Yeah, so, somehow. Some, why is it? I think he's, he's hiding in Mexico when that happens. Yeah, right? he, sends, he banishes him yeah. to like Mexico. And then, he, and then he has him killed with an ice pick. And then he erases Trotsky from all yeah, of everything. Is, you guys have the to pictures, understand. Pictures, yeah. Yeah, like this is – today it's like nothing. You could literally erase someone This is Photoshop camera. back in 1930s. Yeah. Exactly. 1920s. He Photoshopped him basically in 1920s he had every official state document every official state picture that had trotsky in it he had trotsky uh, like erased physically erased from the picture which like technology wise you're like how did they do in 1920s well they did it they touched up photos and basically trotsky the the 2b leader and successor of lenin just disappeared from russian history or i should say now soviet history and stalin as you said because he was getting all these people in government kind of starts to absorb the power and the oligarchy kind of changes, you know, into more of a totalitarian state. Stalinism, right? They look back at yes. this now and this is really becomes what, you know, becomes Stalinism. And by the late 1920s, he's a dictator of the Soviet Union. That's what he's, that's, that's what it is. Yep. And I guess if you watch old newsreels, they talk about this and it's, they're still trying to project, see, they, the Soviet Union is still trying to project, it's like this worker's paradise, right? That it's such mm -hmm. a great place to be. But by this time too, like some, some stuff is coming out Right, some people are realizing things. They're like, "This, it's not this utopia." And Stalin is not really like this nice guy. That yeah, he's not he, really he's a communist. This, he's a totalitarian. But this, yeah, leader. he's a dictator. He's not this revolutionary that that wants to free everybody. And what yeah. they do here is the main thing is that they do centralize a lot of the economy. Um, this forced collectivization on particularly agriculture. 
when the government yeah. took control of farms, and that leads to a lot of issues yeah. in Russia. Yeah, so the big thing here is that Stalin wants to turn Russia, which is literally almost completely an agrarian society, into a domineering big industrial power. To do that, he needs money. And he's going to use the Soviet Union's agriculture to gain that money. And all, in other words, as you said, Tom, he basically created these ma- massive collectives. There were no like his five-year plans where he would take over government ownership of all private land, farmland, and pull kind of these farms into these collectives where all of the grain and all of the stuff that was grown was collected and then sold for export by the state. Therefore, all the money was going to the state, not the people that actually grew the stuff. And then as opposed to that money that's being sold from this like, you know, on steroids farming, that money doesn't go back to the people. That money is used then to industrialize the nation. So the creation of more steel production, oil, factories, so on and so forth. None of that stuff is producing um, food. People need food. food. But I, yeah, food, but also consumer products. It's not even, it's it's producing military weapons. It's producing more industry. It's like industry is producing more industry. Factories are producing more factories. Con- nothing for the consumer. This is all about, this is his plan of ultimately strengthening Soviet Union, and he, you know, you have to give him credit. Like he does do that. I mean, well, it's also to to ensure his power too. He wants to make course. sure he's, his power is going to be there because he's ruling by terror, right? It's a total total totalitarian power. He's eliminating anyone who might go say anything against him, yep. right? Um, he has secret police going around. He's encouraging citizens to spy on each other. He has people sent to the gulags, right? Those forced labor camps. He has yep. a bunch of people killed, and this is all happening. And while the Great Depression is kind of going on in the rest of the world. Right, yep. this is what's going on there. So the Soviet Union is kind of isolated. I don't believe they get affected quite as bad as a lot of like the Western powers do. Well, yeah, but they have like their own that. famines. That's what I'm not saying it's good. They're dealing with their own stuff. Yeah. So you have the famines, you have everything else going on, but they're not really getting thrown in with everything else that's going on with the Great Depression. And then during the 30s too, he has he has a great purge, which is at least campaigns to uh, rid the Communist Party, the military, and other parts of the Soviet society from anything he considered a threat. So if Stalin considered you a threat, you were dead. So yep. what he's getting is all these yes men that will never question him, that will never doubt him, that won't won't even like say it to anybody else. And this is going to wind up hurting them in the beginning of the war of World War II when we when we when we get to that part. Yep. Because he's creating this what basically is called it's called a cult of personality, right? For you know everyone knows that song, the cult of personality. And I think Stalin's name's even mentioned in that. And yeah, we have cities named in his honor. History books were rewritten to give him a more prominent role. They put him into pictures. Or he was never even there originally. Yep. So talking yep. about other people get taken out if he's put in, put into. They like myth, mythalize a lot of his life, making up these things, kind of like what you hear about today, but like uh, in North Korea. Where they, oh, like, very know, much they, so. They, he like the leader there always gets like a hole in one and stuff like that. You know, even I guess you can even say a bit with uh, well, no, not a bit with Russia today with Putin. You know, a lot of the stuff like when he, right when he plays hockey, somehow he scores a goal every time. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that, or that he shot this tiger was attacking some city, like inside, and he went and killed the tiger. The tiger was tranquilized in their trap when Putin killed it. But it was still like, oh, Putin saved the, saved the tiger. So, you know, things like that. Yep. And I, I kind of want to stay a little bit here with these great purges. I mean, when you think about it, right, this is a political campaign, ultimately, to eliminate any dissenting members of the Communist Party. And yeah, a lot of these um, people were like intellectuals. Like they yeah, were, like they were smart people you Russians. Want. Yeah. Estimates vary, obviously. But most experts agree on the fact that probably about 750,000 people were executed during the Great Terror between 1936 and 1938. And million, right, more than a million survivors were sent to these forced labor camps. 
Great Terror started, right, with the assassination of Sergei Kirov, who was a prominent Bolshevik leader. Kirov is murdered at the Communist Party headquarters by a guy that's actually hired by Stalin to do that. He ordered a hit. Stalin uses Kirov's death, saying, like, you know what, we need to launch a purge because there's a dangerous conspiracy within this Communist Party. And He's that, fear. Yeah, that's how he justifies it to the Soviet people. Like, I'm just purging the unclean communists, the, the so-called corrupt communists from this, which is yeah, I'm just making it better for everybody else. I read a book about Stalin called uh, In the Court of the Red Czar, and it was the most intense. And I mean that not just because of the content, but because the thing was like a thousand, like 1500 pages with tiny print. Tom, I'm telling you, I never, it never took me that long to read any other book than this book. It got to the point, it was very much like a witch hunt. People would point other people yeah. out to meet quotas. Stalin was like, I think I need another 100. There should be at least well, yeah, another 10,000 people that are bad from this area. They're like, okay, we'll find 10,000 people. We'll yeah, that's what it was. Because he just knew that he knew, that, oh, no, there has to be people out there. And he's also doing it for fear. Like if you're seeing that many people getting round up, getting killed, getting just disappearing, that other people, they're going to keep their mouth shut. And you yeah. knew you just don't say anything to anybody because it's going to come back to you. And even people, I mean, I'm sure there's people who got killed who said nothing to anybody. They just, you know, yep. got in a fight with a neighbor and they said, this is a way we can get back at them. You know, just Nuts. say, oh yeah, he said something bad about Stalin. Like, oh, oh, all right, you're, you're, you're with me. They probably take out other person too. Well, you, you heard what he said bad about Stalin. So you're coming with us also. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II. Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. All right, so let's uh, let's look into um, World War II, right? It's like the next chapter of Stalin. That's the one that Some. Americans uh, know probably the most about. Yeah, this is when probably the average American gets introduced to Stalin because they probably don't even know that much about him before then, I would say, yep. especially yep. in the 30s. Like they might hear about it if they're not following newspapers or they're not – even in newspapers, you're not going to see that much about him, whatever yep. else is going on. But I'm sure they have to be aware of it. They, one thing they probably do hear about Stalin during this time is in 39 is when um, the Soviet non-aggression, Soviet German Soviet non-aggression pact is signed, right? When yeah, he's Stalin, a bad guy. Uh, he starts this war as a bad guy. Well, he's a bad guy regardless. He doesn't end the war as a good well, guy. Yeah. But yes, I, I know you're saying. But he starts on the side with the Nazis, which a lot of, I guess, doesn't really get whitewashed, but people are aware of it. But I guess uh, years ago, it wasn't really used as, they didn't really talk about it quite as much. Yeah. They have this non-aggression pact, and that's when everyone knows this war is going to happen. Because up to this point, a lot of people are expecting there to be an actual um, war between Germany and Soviet Union, because they do not like each other. Their ideologies no. go totally against each other. They do not like each other. Germany still wants to you know, get back at Russia for World War One, and Russia wants to get back at 
Germany from Germany. World War One. So you still yeah. you still have that whole idea. And they basically it's a secret pact, right? They agree to annex parts of Poland, which both sides don't don't like the fact that that's there. Sorry, Pete. Yeah, you have the Germans attack in September on one side, and all the Poles are fighting and trying to maneuver and like go further east. And while they're going east, they're meeting a bunch of Poles that are evacuating the eastern side, and they're like, "Wait, what are you evacuating for?" And they're like, "Well, the Russians have attacked from the other side." It's like, "What? What?" And they don't just attack Poland, right? Like Tom, what else? Like, I mean, they get oh, they're attack. Of- they're attacking um, Romania. They're attacking Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. He also launched an invasion of Finland at this time, so he's going all out. He he wants to take all that whole area. He wants to expand this sphere of um, the Soviet Union. And he really wants these too, particularly like Poland and stuff, so that Germany, he wants to expand that border between the USSR and Germany. So there's like, they have to go through other states. This is something that he does during the Cold War too, right? They want those satellite yeah. countries so that if there is a World War III that they have to fight through before they get to the heart of Russia itself, the main, like the, you know, the main motherland part of it. They're not fully allied. They're not really doing like joint operations Right yeah. or anything like that. They're just kind of like, all right, you do you you take part of Poland, you take those countries. We're going to focus on you know France. Russia was not getting involved in the fight against France, so it wasn't like a strict military alliance. It was more of a non-aggression pact. Right, you don't fight me, we don't fight you. But even Stalin signs this, expecting that he's going to betray Hitler. Like that was his plan. Yeah. Like the, neither side knew that they thought this was going to last very long. It just lasted a lot shorter than Stalin thought it was going to last. And there's a lot well, of reasons for that to happen. Well, yeah. Essentially what happens is in June 1941, Germany breaks the Nazi-Soviet pact, invades the Soviet Union. Stalin was actually warned about this. I mean, the yeah, Americans, by the Americans, the by the British. Wasn't there also a, um, there was a German defector I read recently, this came out, that actually came over, crossed the lines and said, listen, they're going to invade. And Stalin reportedly had him killed. They're like, you know, do you want do you, do you want to you know learn more about this guy? You want to hear what he has to say? And Stalin said, no, kill him. And like two days later, the Germans the, the Germans attacked. And they were not prepared for war. And apparently, according to like I guess history, is that Stalin locks himself in his room and doesn't come out for like three three or four days. Did you hear yeah. this? Yeah, I did. Because he's, everyone always says that because he's shocked. He can't believe that this because he's shot because he thought this is it. Like he you understand at this point, Germany is undefeated. Oh, most I mean, powerful argue, country in the world. You can, you can argue about the Battle of Britain, but like, you know, on, on land, they're undefeated. They have technology that the Russians have no clue that how to combat, right? With the tanks and the Blitzkrieg, right? They march in all through Europe. And the fact that they're invading and they're doing great, when they invade, they're, they're getting deep into Russia pretty quickly. Like the Blitzkrieg is still working for quite some time in the beginning of this war against uh, the Soviet Union, particularly in the summer months, right? So Stalin's just like, we're done. He's like, I'm done. That's it. We're over. Until, until Stalin goes Stalin and tells his people basically what? Yeah. Do what? How do you stop the well, you, you you're, the you're fighting to the last person. That's really basically what he does. So as the German troops are like, they're getting closer, they're actually um, approaching Moscow. Stalin remained there and directed this like scorched earth defense policy. Basically destroy anything destroy, and yeah. retreat deeper and deeper. He's really going to what the Russians did when they fought Napoleon. Yeah, 100%. Right? Like scorched earth, go back. And that's what Russia does because they're really, which is going to try to last until, you know, Winter. Winter. Really, yeah, just get him closer and get him deeper and get him yeah. deeper in. Because what you're doing is you're stretching those supply lines. You're making yeah. and you're not leaving anything for them to use. And really, the turning point is something that I know um, people have asked. And I think we've even discussed maybe doing a podcast just on this at some point, right? The Battle of Stalingrad. When it comes to battles in World War II, it really is the battle. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, a land battle at least. Um, it lasts from August of forty till to February of forty-three, house to house. Room to room in the house's battle. Or right? the symbolism like this, here is, is this, this is, is the city that's horrible. named after Stalin. And that's why Hitler wants it. 
So again, it's showing that power struggle between the two. They don't really, I mean, it has some strategic value on the Volga River, but it there's does, other yeah. ways. There's, but there's other ways that Hitler could have went around got, it. They could have went he could have went around it. it. He could have just laid siege to it. He could have went around it. And Stalin could have abandoned it, but he made the people stay. Stalin wants it because it's named after him, right? And then Hitler wants it because it's named after Stalin. This is his city. So this is becoming his battle where I think like a million civilians die. Like, I remember there was a movie that came out not too long ago called Stalingrad. It's a Russian movie. It's really like patriot, Russian patriotic. I remember. It popped up on Amazon for me a couple of times. I yeah, I think I think it, it's but... there. I remember it coming out. I remember us talking about it. We're like, oh, we should go see it. <laughs> we, we There's did. a German but, um, movie called Stalingrad from like '93 that does like it's very it's similar to like All Quiet on the Western Front Western because Front. to them that was like the All Quiet on the Western Front in World War II for them. Like yeah. this was bad yeah. for the young Germans that were sent to Stalingrad. The thing that we also need to bring up here is that st- the scorched earth policy. Stalin basically said, like, if you have pigs, kill them. If you have fields, burn them. Like, if you don't, we'll do it for you. Like, yeah, leave nothing. And they did. And they nothing. did. Yeah. They did. I did that scene in um, the old movie. It's an old movie, not that old, but uh, Enemy at the Gates. I'm sure you did say that, old right? movie. That's like 2000 something. <laughs> no, 2001, 2002. Probably. Enemy at the yeah, it's like 20 years old. Yeah. But in it, it's very accurate. And I could also, that deals with Stalingrad too, I believe, right? They're just p- take, kicking people off the boat, kicking soldiers off the boat, throwing them into the battle. And they're giving every other soldier a gun because they don't have enough rifles. Yeah. And they're just saying, all right, when the person in front of you gets shot and killed, you pick up their gun and keep on moving forward. Yeah, so, so they had ammo. You just got ammo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's actually people behind them with machine guns. So if they – if they, behind the Soviet soldiers. So if they retreat, they get shot. Like that's these are Stalin's orders. So like you had to push forward. You had to keep on fighting because you had no other choice. You had, Because if you went backwards at all, there were people you – know, There were really what, Russians set up – to shoot you if you turned around. To shoot you if you retreated. That was their job. That's crazy. You don't retreat. That's one reason why the death toll just becomes so much. But that really shows Stalin's mindset. Yeah, Russia had a lot of people. Not that it's okay to kill them, but like this guy really- Well, that was their greatest resource. He realized that was their greatest resource. Yeah. We can, they can just keep on pumping more and more people into the fight. And just, you know, they're not going to beat the Germans instantly, but they're going to wear them down, which is really what they do. So let's yeah let's uh, let's kind of finish up the war aspect here. What we need to point out here is no real historian is going to argue otherwise that Russia is the reason that the war continued and Hitler didn't win because especially in the land war yeah yeah like, yeah it, it ended what it did and having that stuff because he does join the allies the allies do join them um, yeah. Roosevelt extends lend lease they always say this they said that the war was won with British intelligence right American yep. weapons American industry and Russian lives yep. That's how World War II was uh, basically won. And um, you do have the big three, Churchill, Stalin, and Roosevelt do meet, right? Particularly at the Tehran conference. Yep, and the Alta. Churchill never liked Stalin. No, 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 no. Churchill hated Stalin. Uh, except FDR actually was like, all right, I got to get Stalin on my side. like Because he's like, Stalin's the only one that's fighting in this war right now. And until we like hit up D-Day in Normandy and like really enjoyed this war effort, we need Stalin to be happy. He's like, all right, how do I get Stalin to be happy? I'll make fun of Churchill, who's my friend, by the way. Like Churchill was PO'd. Yeah. He was like, dude, why are you making fun of me? And basically FDR's strategy was like, I got to get on the good side of Stalin. Yeah, and, and Stalin would laugh. Yeah. And then that would go. Because FDR always thought he could handle uh, Stalin. That's why yeah. you kind of read with it, you know, in all those writings that he didn't trust Stalin necessarily, but he knew Stalin needed him and needed American industry. And he would basically just, he felt like he could control Stalin or know how to manage Stalin. Huh, no one can control point. Stalin. Well, that was FDR's like thought process. Anyway, yeah. I'm sure Stalin thought he was doing the same thing to FDR. And then yeah. Churchill's there. He's like, I don't need both these guys to get on my nerves. You know exactly. I mean? Literally. Like, where's my cigar? So, 
what essentially happens at the very last you know months of the war, we know FDR dies, Truman becomes president. Truman does not like Stalin. But this Doesn't by this time, well. yeah, by this time we're this is the beginning of a new war because when Stalin's forces were fighting the Germans from the east, on the eastern front, they basically started liberating all these Eastern European countries that Germany had taken. And Soviet Union's version of liberating them it really means taking them over and turning them into communist countries. And in these countries, we're talking about kind of what you mentioned before, right? Like you have um, the Estonia, you have Poland. And as far as really half of Germany, where the Soviets meet the Americans in Berlin, by then Stalin's forces have made their way through all of Eastern Europe. The U.S. allied forces, U.S. and British forces make their way to Germany from Western Europe. There's almost this, this like unwritten understanding that all these countries, once this war ends in like a month, right, in 45, all these countries are going to be given back to the people, rightfully so, to the people that own these countries. There are going to be elections that are going to be held, and there's these democratic elections will choose new leaders. And France, who was Vichy France, half of it was, you know, pro-Nazi. It's all going to go back to pre-war normal. The problem is that Stalin is like, yeah, 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 I'll hold elections in Poland. Yeah, I'll hold elections in, in the other side of Germany. And I'll hold elections here, but he doesn't. And the reason for that is because he kind of looks at history and he goes, right, Germany has attacked Russia multiple times. He looks at it as like, I need Poland as a buffer zone. And I'm not going to let Polish people um, hold democratic elections because the Polish people clearly are not going to vote in a communist government because, you know, I kind of like invaded them and killed a bunch of Poles in World War II. So that's not going to happen. So he, to keep that buffer zone, refuses to allow these elections, which angers the Western world. And in 46, you have Churchill comes to the United States, to Missouri, to visit Truman. And he gives this famous speech where he says an iron curtain, iron curtain has fallen across Europe. Like Stalin is not giving these countries back. And what he does is he establishes puppet communist governments. Yeah, they're loyal to Stalin. So he's basically increasing his uh, his subjects more or less, right? Yep. In these areas. And he's having this sphere of influence and the Soviet Union gets bigger. And even... Stuff comes out later about like what the Soviets did during the war as they were like taking over these territories and Stalin refuses to punish anybody. He's just basically like, you know, how could you expect them to react normally? You know, what's so awful about them doing these things like the rape, the, pill the pillaging, the looting and stuff like that? He's like, what do you want them to do? Like what happened in Berlin in the very last month of the war uh, in Europe? I mean, when the Soviets got to Berlin, Stalin basically was like, you know what? Spoils of war. Have fun. Uh, yeah, every destroyed. woman, regardless of age, was raped by Soviet soldiers. You have the buildings were destroyed, completely utterly destroyed. I mean, people say like, wow, Germans are terrible. But then you look at what Soviets did. But what's interesting, though, is Soviets at this point were the good guys. You know what I mean? Like the good guys are not supposed to do that stuff. Yeah, I mean, they did do they did liberate all the concentration camps, right? They with, did, uh, yeah. we can, that's something we can talk about. They see that. And that's when some of this early stuff first gets out. And they were liberated. I'm sure it wasn't every single Soviet soldier, but it did happen. And it happened on a pretty large scale. Yep. And you didn't see that as much. I'm sure it did happen with Americans and British and French soldiers too. But again, not on that scale. It wasn't yeah. like, and it wasn't encouraged by the yeah, It wasn't like given free reign. It wasn't like, hey, do it. Why are you not doing it? You yeah, know, that yeah. sort of stuff. So, and that's one, re one of the reasons that there's many others, but also why um, the Soviets wanted to be involved in occupation of Japan. And Truman's like, no, that is not happening. Yep. And that's really causes a lot of the um, attitude and stuff with Truman and Stalin, how much how they don't like each other. I mean, other. Stalin is the one there. that encouraged North Korea to attack South Korea. Yeah, he was, he was like, go yeah. for it. You have my blessing. Yeah, my blessing, which, yeah. 
which again, tens of thousands of American soldiers lose their lives just five years after World War II. Essentially, this establishes, we kind of all know, establishes the Cold War, which lasted until 1990 between the Soviet Union and the Western world. Soviet Union and their satellite countries, or the Warsaw Pact countries is what they're called in, in Eastern Europe. Stalin doesn't really live that much longer. No, he gets um, some pretty poor health is a few years later. Like we have, there's a few issues. I guess, the, I guess one of the last big things he does with the West directly, I would have to say would be the Berlin airlift, right? Everything going on yep. with that and blockading uh, the beginning of the Berlin wall, which is something I think we did, we did do a podcast. On we the do it. We did a podcast. Again, on right? that. Yeah. yeah because you were there, but um, yep. video of little Pietusch on the wall. There is, there is. Well, not on the wall, but by the wall, hanging out. We'll, you know? we'll just go with that. We'll just go with that. Western side. The eastern side, you couldn't get near that thing, man. It was like <laughs> an inner wall, Stalin's grass, yeah. which had like spikes. You know, to say what happens here, uh, he also brings the Soviet Union to a nuclear age. That's important as well. Russia, no question, undoubtedly, under Stalin, becomes a world power. The, uh, such a world power that actually its industry is only beat by United States industry. Its military is only beat, right, arguably, by United States military. The two countries are head-to-head, nose-to-nose when Stalin dies. Then things kind of change afterwards. And the reason for that is because when Stalin dies, which we'll get into in a second how that happens, March. He died on March 5th, 1953. Yeah, Yeah, he was 74 years old. Uh, He had a stroke. Uh, Once he dies, at first there's almost like that Stalin everywhere. And what they do is they like, they embalm him and they bring him next to Lenin and they, you know, put his body there on display as well. And it's on display for till like 61 or something like it's there basically for almost 10 years. People are still afraid of Stalin, even though the dude's been dead. Right. For this point, I think yeah. eight years, they're afraid of saying anything bad about him until you finally have Nikita Khrushchev, who's his, you know, he becomes the successor until he's finally like, OK, you know what? Like maybe everything Stalin did was like not great. And even then people are paranoid. They're like, whoa, like this is eight years later. They're still afraid of a man that's been dead for eight years because they're afraid of his cult of personality. Yeah, exactly. And but then in 61, they're like, you know what? Let's just remove this guy from the Red Square, the mausoleum. You don't need to see his body in an open glass casket. They basically started the process of destalinization and they they buried him. It's like, you know, you don't see him anymore. Uh, Meanwhile, Lenin is still there. But when he died from a stroke, this is this is kind of. They said that it was almost, did he die from stroke? Well, yeah, it's one of those things. Well, they found him. They said he had cerebral hemorrhage, right, on yep. March 1st, 1953. And he was in bad health for a while before this. From 1946 until his death, he only gave um, three speeches publicly. Yep. And even his writings declined. So he wasn't in great health. He didn't trust doctors. He thought a lot of doctors were trying to kill him. He actually had a couple of doctors that he thought tried to kill him, tortured until they confessed they were trying to kill him. And then he had them killed. So and they were it, Jewish. Those, it was actually yeah, it was, Jewish doctors. Yeah. The Jewish doctors. Yeah. Which is weird because the Soviet Union was actually what one of, I think it might have been the first country to like recognize Israel. Yep. Because he uh, wanted to have like maybe. a strong, he was one of the first ones. He wanted to have a strong, um, presence in the Middle East and then it kind of fell out very quickly because Israel sided with the with the Western with the West with the United States more. And then Stalin became very um super anti Semitic towards the anti Semitic at that point. Yeah. And promoting a lot of that in uh Yeah, he started Jewish purges in between fifty one and fifty three. He also um okayed a lot of publications and the media to become anti Semitic and uh, it basically started talking about threats of Zionism and threats of, of Jewish people that need to be condemned. And and a lot of it stemmed from also, he, again, used this, he always uses one thing. He's like, well, there's a doctor's plot. There's these Jewish doctors that are very smart and they're high up in the Communist Party and they're trying to actually, you know, assassinate Soviet leaders. So he uses that as a 
as an example, or rather as an impetus, to why he's now going after Jewish people. But this never really comes to fruition or really goes as far as it could because he is found dead from this stroke. And when he's found dead from the stroke, actually, um, this is a, you know interesting story because he wouldn't come out of his room and everyone was afraid of going afraid in there. Afraid to go see him. Yeah, so they, they find him a couple of days later. Yeah, they might have actually saved him if they walked in that morning, but they're like, I'm not disturbing, you know, Comrade Stalin. They had to basically go go in, yeah, and they found him on the floor. Yeah. Like wrapped up in his blankets, all like, you know, filth all over him and stuff like that. And they basically, all right, we have to help him now. So they moved him to the couch. He he lived for a few more days. They like spoon fed him, gave him medicines, covered him with leeches and stuff like that. But it was probably a brutal death. He never really regained full functions and he winds up dying. On March fifth, and then he, it's announced March sixth that he's that he died, and that kind of like shocks the world. There's um, I saw this one picture of actually that's like by a camera by a U.S. Um, Army assistant who happened to be there, and he's able to just barely get a picture of uh, Stalin's casket. And there's a lot of talk, like you said before, of him that he was poisoned. There are several people that they say could have poisoned Stalin it's different ways, and there's never been proof. Uh, New York Times had published a report a couple of years ago that he was poisoned by warfarin, which is this uh, you know intense poison. But when he dies, though, people actually people actually die coming to see him. The crowds are so large that they get trampled. Well, they're paranoid. Like so, they're yeah. been taught. They, they know they know yeah. they have to show their mourning for him. And yeah. people actually people actually die getting trampled. Like it's officially reported as 109, but other reports say it's over a thousand people that that got killed this way. That's crazy. Which just basically adds. I mean, it adds to his number. His number again. This is such a big window um, because. Historians still can't agree. You know, it's one of like when you call a cable company, we'll be between seven and four. Like, yeah. oh, thanks for the window. The, they say that Stalin's responsible for the deaths of anywhere between six to 20 million people during the entire duration of his rule. Um, I mean, that's a big window there. Even if we meet in the middle, right? I mean, you're still talking millions of people. The Soviet Union after Stalin, um, after when Khrushchev comes to power, it switches because... Stalin was a totalitarian leader. He was, by every definition, a dictator. And after Stalin's death, Russia, or Soviet Union, I should say, returns back to this oligarchy, right? Like the communist state once again rules. It's a group of people. From that point forward, every time you have a premier, a Soviet premier, he's like the head or like a representative of the communist party, Politburo. Not like Stalin. Stalin had the final say. From that point forward until 1989-1990, when communism falls and you have democratic elections in, in Soviet Union, which reestablishes Russia, you have the rule of the party. Now, I wouldn't say, do you have any fun facts about Stalin? But like, do you have any think, any interesting facts? We well, there's a lot of, I guess he's known for a lot of his quotes. Okay. And there's, there's some that are um, credited to him that he probably didn't say. But this one that I think of pretty much he did say was, death is a solution to all problems. No man, no problem. Yeah. Which is like a very like again, these are taken from Russian translated. But like, I think we covered a lot of like the crazy ones that. that well, he, I have I have a couple did, that deal with his kids um, that we. Oh did yeah, the cover. kids. Because he did remarry again in in 1918, and when he remarried, he wound up having two more kids uh, with his second wife. A lot of people don't talk about it. his second wife commits suicide. It was so hush hush through the whole process that like 
did she actually commit suicide or like did yeah, Stalin have something to do with it? Uh, because she was in her early 30s when that happened. Stalin had two children with her. However, a lot of historians say that he also fathered several other children out of wedlock. So for all we know, there's a bunch of little Stalin. Yeah, it's probably, but they knew that he did some, but he never really acknowledged them. Yep. Like his. Uh, I mean, but yeah, but think about it. These people could still be alive children. today. Like, oh, actually, it's a big oh, secret. Yeah. My father, like, it's nuts. But his children, the boy does go into and join the uh, Air Force. He joins the Soviet Air Force, but he gets extremely depressed. And he actually commits suicide as well. His only daughter later on causes huge scandal. In 1967, she defects to the United States. Oh, yeah. She comes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like... Uh, I, did, I did see that. Height of the Cold War. She's like, yeah, I'm going to the United States. Uh, Svetlana was her name. Uh, and she went to the United States. And that in itself was like oh wow. yeah it's huge like imagine if like a talk president's about PR. Talk, yeah talk about a pr to, coup you know what i mean yeah, like, like a big move she was always like kind of a like a rebellious child but after she came here she spoke a lot about her father from a way that a lot of people didn't know she did change her uh, last name from St- stalina because that used to be that to aliueva uh it was her mother's maiden name at one point they said that she fell in love with somebody but the state, the communist state, like interfered with her affairs and wouldn't let her marry this guy because he was Indian and you can't fall in love with someone that's not like a pure Russian. So she's like, screw this, I'm leaving. And she came to the US. They did talk about trying to assassinate her, the Soviets, but it never came to fruition. She did embrace American culture. She wrote a lot. She loved Thanksgiving. You know, that became one of her favorite holidays. <laughs> the irony in all this is nuts. But anyway... So I think, I mean, you got anything else? I think that's pretty much covers well, it. Yeah, I think it sums it up. Like, like he was just one of those guys that has looked on history. He was very influential. Like you can say that, you know, you're not going to argue that. Like it was in a bad way for the most part, but he was, he was very um, influential in the 20th century. Ah, uh, Stalin. Yeah. We missed so much. Like, obviously this, we're just kind of giving like a quick hit here, but like we can go into more details with his arm and with the pictures. And if someone looked at him the wrong way, obviously everything with Hitler in World War II, just with his family. So, yeah, this is just like a quick synopsis on Stalin, the man, some of the things he does. And we kind of like fast forward, you know, his life after the war. Endless amount of information on him out there. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in once more to our podcast. We do appreciate it. If you guys need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We are there to answer any of your questions. Do not forget to click that subscribe button or like button, guys. We really do appreciate those. And leave us a review whenever you get a chance. Those are always nice. So thank you so much, and we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become 
Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st.